The alliance war waged across Tamriel in the Second Era, fought between the Aldmeri Dominion, the Ebonheart Pact, and the Daggerfall Covenant. In this nine-part series, we'll dive into the lore and tales from each of these factions, starting with the Aldmeri Dominion. But first, this video is sponsored by me. Making content on YouTube is only one of my jobs. The rest of my time is spent as a life insurance broker, so I figured, why not try sponsoring one of my own videos? If you have people in your life, odds are that you want to keep them protected financially. Life insurance is that protection. Fill out the contact form on my website for a free consultation of your life insurance needs, and I'll get in contact with you. You can find that at solaceshieldusa.com or find the link in the description. But anyways, back to Tamriel. Balenwood, a study. Life for many in the Aldmeri Dominion begins in Valenwood. Green, forested, filled with a wide variety of plant and animal life. And home to some of the first elves from Old Elnafe. Over time and through generations, these early settlers adapted to the woods. They learned stealth and cunning by studying their new prey. Eventually, they became Wood Elves, or Bosmer. Slighter than the Aldmer, intense and agile, the Bosmer are renowned archers and scouts. Fierce combatants, the Bosmer have an unusual advantage, the Green Pact. According to Bosmer legend, Ifri, the forest god, offered them a way to defeat their enemies provided they did not consume, harm, or harvest any of Valenwood's plants. Many have heard of the Wild Hunt, one result of the Green Pact. Of this ritual, I will say no more. The Bosmer welcome those who come to Valenwood seeking refuge from other lands. In this regard, they are quite unlike their pure Altmer cousins. While we seek to retain our dignity, the Bosmer are quite willing to bend like saplings to the will of others. Though they are unruly and naive, these Wood Elves are an integral part of the Dominion, and must be retained in order for our alliance to flourish. Iliad Cities of Valenwood At this point, we should mention the remarkable cities of Seadatar and the Aeliad settlement beneath what is now modern Braville. These cities, along with the Valenwood cities of Haven, Woodhearth, and Sylvanar, all flourished as a result of the increased trade after the establishment of the Great White Gold Tower in what is now the heart of Cyrodiil. Of particular note is the universities and libraries at nearby Elden Root. The Aeliads there built their city in and around what is called the Elden Tree, or the First Tree, believed by many to be the tree that seeded all of Valenwood. 
Both Haven and Woodhearth were destroyed utterly by the sieging Marmor, who cared little for the advanced and enlightened ways of the Valenwood Aldmer. Marching inland, they plundered not only the Elden Root Enclave, but also the Great Tree itself. What villainous tribe would injure and pillage such magnificence? It is possible that the Marmor had broken the Aldmer traditions of racial purity and intermingled with indigenous bestial tribes of Pyandania. This would explain their savagery and lack of regard for the greatness of mainland elven culture. Common Arms of Valenwood Metal weapons have never been widespread in Valenwood. The Wood Elves' Green Pact proscribes the use of wood to kindle forge fires, though in some areas the burning of peat or coal can get kilns up to metal forging temperatures. Other Bosmer make do with bone clubs or use axes and spears with blades of stone or obsidian. In the coastal towns such as Haven or Port Ellen, Bosmeri swordsmanship has benefited from the tutelage of Altmer advisors and a reliable supply of imported metal weapons. Strangely, the High Elves are not similarly appreciative of the Bosmeri composite hornbows, which are arguably the finest in Tamriel. While some have described the Dominion as an alliance of mutual convenience, I would characterize it as one of mutual exasperation. Swordsmanship is a case in point. Few Wood Elves have the mental discipline for traditional Altmeri martial schooling. They are easily distracted and have no patience for the philosophical aspects of the training. Altmeri masters, who describe their system of swordsmanship as proper conflict, refused to adapt their techniques to the smaller stature and shorter reach of their pupils. So the Bosma returned to their traditional method of warfare, archery. By the age of 14, a wood elf youth is proficient enough with the bow to accompany hunting parties. Long-distance archers are called yakspurs. The style of draw used by Yakspurs has been described as snatching and releasing in one continuous motion. This allows a Yakspur to maintain a very high rate of shooting, though years of training are required to be accurate at such speed. The Bosmer are perfectly willing to purchase and use wooden bows and arrows crafted by other races but the Green Pact prevents them from making any of their own. Traditional Bosmer bows are crafted from horn and sinew. Strings are also made of sinew. Kajiri gut is said to work best, and is thus prized among Valenwood archers. Bosmeri arrows are carved from bone and fletched with the feathers of various bird species. 
the Wood Elves believe the source of bone used influences the characteristics of the arrow. Mammoth bone arrows are thought to strike with enough force to knock a target down. Bird bone arrows fly faster and more accurately. Sinjay tiger bone arrows deal extra damage. Trials by Imperial observers have been unable to replicate these alleged effects. Upon hearing this, the Bosmer merely cluck their tongues and smile. The Humor of Wood Elves Volkwaston, wildly known for its fermented beverages, is home to some of the friendliest Bosmer I've ever met. Like most of their kind, they are industrious and get along well with most people. After completing research into their brewing methods, I stayed overnight with a local family. As a historian, I realize one can learn much about a culture by studying its humor. Therefore, I copied down several of their witticisms for future examination. Perhaps by considering their amusements, we will gain further insight into the mind of the Bosmer. Question. Why did the monkey fall out of the tree? Answer. It was dead. Question. What's brown and sticky? Answer. A stick. Person 1. Ask me if I'm a tree. Person 2. Are you a tree? Person 1. No. A skeleton walks into the tavern and says, I'd like some rot meth and a mop. Question. Which side of a raven has the most feathers? Answer. The outside. Question. What has three heads, is ugly, and smells? Answer. My mistake. You don't have three heads. Question. What's light as a feather but cannot be held for very long? Answer. Breath. Question. Imagine your boat sinking in slaughterfish infested waters. How do you survive? Answer. Stop imagining. Question. Why do thunderbugs eat raw meat? Answer, they never learned to cook. And finally, question, why do bees buzz? Answer, because they can't whistle. The Wedding Feast, a Memoir My children, Naral sets this down to give insight into the strange ways of the wood elves amongst whom some of you travel. Beware their vengeful ways. Preparations began months ago for the wedding feast of the two highest wood elves. Their union shows that the forest and its people are as one, hence a very large feast. As a trader, I've often been tasked with providing tidbits for royalty. 
I name no names, but freely admit to providing biscuits dusted with moon sugar for banquets in Elden Root on more than one occasion. Still, this wedding feast required many things outside my purview, and I was forced to make last-minute changes. To get 50 vats of beef broth, I supplemented the 30 vats available by adding root vegetable broth. Knowing the wood elves are not squeamish about the dead, I provided 10 crates of bone marrow from whatever bones were available, asking no questions as to their origins. But cake with no flour? Never had I seen such a thing before. I consulted with several wood elf bakers who assured me such a thing was possible as wood elves eat nothing green unless prepared by outsiders. Given that, their restriction that I provide cakes without flour flummoxed me. I got a couple of recipes and checked with my suppliers, none of whom could provide the desired quantity in time. Thus, I set about making them myself. I thinned the eggs with water to make them stretch, I added arrowroot and powdered flaxseed to thicken it. Sugar proved the most dear component of the cakes, so I added ground chalk to reduce the actual amount of sugar needed. The taste was similar to cake, very similar, and since they took so little time and gold to make, my profit doubled from the cakes alone. It was the substitution of flaxseed oil whipped with lard instead of butter that proved my undoing, and the undoing of many a guest's bowels. Not only did the wood elves rescind any future contracts, but they shaved my tail and confiscated all the gear and goods I'd left behind in my hasty retreat. Never, my children, offer to supply goods for a wood elf feast. It will only end in tears. Savior of the Altmer Part 1 Let it be known that what I have done here in Elden Hollow I do for the Altmer, though they refuse to help themselves. What follows is a memoir of sorts for the Thalmor will no doubt feel they have been betrayed. But I am the only canon reeve working toward a greater good, towards a better existence for the Aldmer. Twelfth of Morningstar. I have seen the numbers. The Aldmeri Dominion loses hundreds of soldiers every fortnight in this accursed war, and we have a long road ahead of us. When all is finished, we will have lost an entire generation of Altmer. Teachers, scholars, and mages march off to fiery death, and the Thalmor are happy to give them up. It's heinous. I can understand that the Khajiiti leaders, with less than five of their number in the Thalmor, and the Bosmeri tree things, would be eager to offer Altmeri blood to end this conflict but my fellow cannon reeves are equally willing, and I cannot abide by it. 
8th of mid-year. Months have passed, and the Thalmor continue to pass Altmeri youth through the Dominion War Machine like they're an inexhaustible resource. We possess the greatest military minds in Tamriel, and all we can do is tear our best and brightest from their lives to fight like savages in far-off lands. Ninth of Last Seed I was a fiery mage in my youth, and I've retained a lesson or two since then. If I cannot get support from the Thalmor to bring a more expedient end to this war, then I will bring about an end for them. Part 2 Eleventh of Frostfall My career as a mage ended abruptly when I realized the manipulation of people and policy was infinitely more satisfying than collecting animal feces to spark a fire. However, I am forced to admit that perhaps Ornith, the Master Wizard, could end this war much more quickly than Cannon Reef Ornith is able to. 23rd of Sun's Dusk I can think of a hundred ways to finish this war, none of which a mage of my stature could accomplish. The guilds offer no solace. I saw that grinning fool Bakara again. At least I believe she was grinning. I can never tell with the Khajiit. I have but one recourse. Part 3 First of Morning Star. The pact is made. I fear even my ancestors would frown on me, or hunt me in the streets for this. I do not doubt the Thalmor will be displeased, but it is necessary. I have taken a sabbatical from my position as Cannon Reef these last months in my effort to conclude this war, but I have been reviewing the field reports. This conflict is claiming double the ordinary lives as were being lost when I embarked on my journey. The choice I made was the correct one. My new master and the army he has promised will ensure this war is finished before the year's end. A warning to the Aldmeri Dominion. The overlords of the Aldmeri Dominion are hereby put on notice. Renounce your ambitions of aggression and return to your islands and jungles, or the wrath of the Daggerfall Covenant shall fall upon you like a hammer of the divines. We are well aware that the Old Mary plan nothing less than a return to the elven domination of the other races, particularly men and orcs. They wish to overturn the legacies of the First and Second Empires and wipe them from history. This we shall not allow. Never again will free men and orcs submit to the tyranny of elven oppression. The arrogant High Elves of Somerset are clearly the driving force behind the Dominion. We of the Covenant have shown through our acceptance of the Dyrini, that we can live with the elves in peace, but Queen Aerin insists on war. Her invasion of the continent of Tamriel is nothing but naked aggression. 
The Dominion has no territorial rights in Cyrodiil. If the Altmer do not return to Somerset, their invading armies will be destroyed. The Wood Elves and the Khajiit have traded with our Iliac Bay kingdoms for ages, but they've made a mistake in allying themselves with the perfidious Altmer of Somerset. Though we of the Covenant wish them no ill will, if they maintain their alliance with the Dominion, they will suffer the same fate at our hands as the High Elves. They must reconsider, or they must face our wrath. Oridon Explored, Chapter 1 Gentle Reader, Welcome. Welcome to the crystal blue waters and gentle zephyrs of Oridon, jewel of the Somerset Archipelago and gateway to Tamriel. This fair isle has long been home to the friendliest, the most outward facing of my noble race. Herein, I have included an unedited journal of observations. Thoughts jotted down during my most recent trip across the isle. Some of the hidden gems of the isle, some of the most striking locales of this sheltered paradise. You'll see description in these pages. From I, your humble guide, enjoy. Finlil, the Wayfarer. Chapter 2 They stare, looking into my soul. Their little eyes, their furry bodies. I can't imagine a more terrifying sight. Do not believe the tales. Those monkeys hate our intrusion into their home. Chapter 3 Ah, fair Erinorn Isle. A part of the Berenium Sea Complex during the time of the ancients and then long used as a shipping and warehouse complex by nearby Skywatch. Then came the slowed, disease, and death. Even in the aftermath of Skywatch's defiance, slowed forces held the island for decades. When it was finally cleansed by a concentrated force, a remnant of the All Flags Navy it was left to rot and decay. A shame, as its natural beauty is extreme, and its ruins magnificent. Chapter 4 This island is fascinating. It was clearly once a hub for the ancient Aldmer, perhaps part of a larger structure that extended out into the sea. Now it is used most often as a retreat from the city life of nearby Skywatch. I've found some evidence here that the resurgent Daedric cults, the worm cultists, are making preparations to construct some kind of dolmen here. I'll have to warn the local authorities in Skywatch. Chapter 5 Gentle reader, 
I feel the need to edit my unedited thoughts about the beautiful, unparalleled island of contemplation. Without a doubt, one of the most beautiful places on Tamriel. Your fair explorer has many happy memories of quiet meals, meaningful looks, moonlit encounters. As I said, my time on the Isle of Contemplation has been magical. I hope yours is the same. Chapter 7 The ruin known by locals as High Tide Keep was once a sprawling complex of defensive fortifications, a relic from the time of the ancients. It was painstakingly maintained and manned. As a result, Skywatch was able to put up an incredible defense during the slowed attack on the city. Powerful magical constructs were crafted and expended. Dozens of slowed warships were destroyed. The city finally fell when a slowed warcaster filled his voluminous gullet with volatile alchemical reagents and threw himself at the base of the cliffs. The resulting explosion toppled much of the extended rock face and plunged the ruins into the sea. Chapter 12 I am often asked when the ancients first arrived in the archipelago. My researches indicate that it was in the middle of the early Merithic period. The farthest northern tip of Oridon, now called the Nine Prows Landing, is by tradition the first place within the Somerset Isles to feel the tread of the ancients. From Somerset, the ancients spread to the shores of Tamriel, settling almost every region of that great, contentious continent. There they built new societies and found both glory and destruction. The Rise of Queen Aaron. Loyal citizens of Ordon, I have the pleasure of being an advisor to Her Royal Majesty Queen Aaron, the first Eagle Primarch of the Aldmeri Dominion. I, Queen of the Somerset Isles, over friend of the Royal Camoran House of the Wood Elven people, and boon companion to the main of the Khajiit. As royal advisor, I have penned this brief account of Queen Aaron's life and history. Read that you might welcome our queen to your hearts. Her Majesty spent early days, as many children do, in the Isles. She trained in blades beside her father. She rode horses in the surf along our golden beaches and memorized history and sonnets beneath soft pink petals. Over twenty years ago, your forward-thinking King, His Royal Majesty King Hidalith of Eleanor, may he ever be honored in Aetherius, gathered with the royal family at the Crystal Tower in celebration of Her Majesty's passage into the labyrinth. This time of intensive study has been required by all Somerset rulers in the past, and Her Majesty was to step into that period with arms wide open. 
As the hour approached, however, the thin princess was found missing. While a long search was begun, in truth, Her Majesty had claimed her own destiny. Her Majesty had stolen away to the Isle of Balfira to live with the Diarini at the Adamant Tower. The members of that clan trained her in the art of war. They turned her simple noble swordplay to lithe and seasoned blade dancing. Her beachside rides became forced marches on horseback, and her singing of sonnets beneath the trees of her homeland gave way to the studies of the art's most arcane. Much has been made of our queen's adventures in Tamriel by bards and common broadsheet scribes. Yes, it's true that she once rode a bear, that she hunted the frost trolls of Skyrim, delved into the depths of a dwarven ruin, and crewed with the pirate captain of Cyrodiil. Her Majesty once flew upon an enormous kite on the winds of the Alkair Desert, and danced with the Nereids in the Elysian Hills. These adventures were not the larks of a wanton, but instead a deliberate process. The tempering of a blade. And when His Majesty King Hidalith passed away, when it looked as though our remote isles would be left to flounder, the swell of history, Princess Aerin returned. Her majesty plucked the crown from where it had fallen in the dust. She took up her father's sword and led us out into the world. Led us into the world to find new allies waiting just off our shores. The queen's connections to the noble wood elves and fierce Khajiit enabled us to form the mighty dominion that now stands astride our corner of Tamriel, poised to strike at the dark heart of Cyrodiil and ward off the depredations of the warmongering alliances of the north. Though she has her detractors and cowards defame her courage from behind a veil, Queen Aaron is the living beating heart of the Dominion. Our fortune and prosperity depend upon her. Aaron, the Unforeseen Queen Some of our Bosmeri and Khajiiti students have come under a misapprehension. Repeating the canard that not all the Altmer of Somerset are united behind our glorious Queen Aaron. Nothing could be further from the truth. We High Elves have a penchant for witticisms and wordplay that can sometimes be misinterpreted by those newly exposed to our ancient and refined culture. To set this matter straight, I've assembled this brief introduction to our beloved Queen of Alinor, intending to tell her story in a simple, direct fashion that can be understood even by our new allies in the Altmeri Dominion. The Altmer, of course, are descended in an unbroken line from the divines who created Nern and none more so than the royal family of Alinor. Aaron's father, King Hidalith, of August memory, ruled the Somerset Isles long and well, and exemplified the best traditions of elven ceremony. 
basing his every decision on the precedence laid down in the scrolls of Praxis. In due time, as ordained by the scrolls, King Hiddeleth and his wife, Kin Lady Twinden, conceived a child, who was named Aaron, as the Praxis dictated. Princess Aaron was born on the fifth of second seed in the year 555 of the second era. A very auspicious date, though I will spare you the reasons why, as you lack the context to comprehend its full significance. However, you can believe me when I tell you all Somerset, Ordon, and Atrium celebrated her birth for 55 days. It was foretold that Princess Aaron would reflect the restless and turbulent times in which she was born, and so it came to pass. Nimble and quick-witted, she was quick to master the lessons of her tutors, and from an early age often adopted unorthodox approaches to schoolwork. In fact, she sometimes became so engrossed in her independent studies that her whereabouts were unknown for days at a time. She would often return from these field trips with unusual knowledge and display remarkable new skills. One day, in Evening Star of the year 573, the entire royal family of Eleanor gathered at the Crystal Tower to celebrate Aaron's marticulation to the Sapiarch's Labyrinth, where she was to study Altmary Regal Praxis and Saramonarchy for the requisite 3,555 days. But Aaron didn't arrive. Somewhere between the palace and the tower, the princess disappeared. And despite a 17th degree inquiry by the Justicars, she was nowhere to be found. The Sapiarchs, however, reported that the night of the disappearance was filled with signs and portents. The constellation of the lady seeming to ride the constellation of the steed. The great orrery was spun backwards, and a young eaglet was found atop the statue of Topal the Explorer. In due course, Prince Naaman, Aaron's eldest brother, was named heir to the throne of Alinor. And in 575, he matriculated into the labyrinth. Naaman, like his father, was a natural ceremonarch, who seemed to have a genuine relish for the rites and duties ordained by tradition for the heir. Indeed, when King Hiddeleth ascended to Aetherius in the year 580, Prince Naaman immediately began preparing to speak the 88-day coronation liturgy that would elevate him to the throne in his father's place. Then, on a day unheralded, the unforeseen occurred. Word came from Port Velen, on the continent that the Princess Aaron was on her way to Oradon by swan ship. In wonder and haste, the court of Alinor took itself to first hold to greet her, arriving just in time to welcome her unexpected return. Princess Aaron announced that she was prepared as the eldest heir to assume the throne of Alinor, and the High King Justicar affirmed that such was indeed her right. 
she was crowned Queen Arryn on the seventh of Frostfall in the year 580. Now, some of you may have heard wild tales about Princess Arryn's adventures during her time away from Somerset, that she sailed as first mate with a pirate captain from Anvil, disguised herself as a Dunmer in order to read the Indigo Tomes in the Vault of the Necrom, bested the dervishes of Rihad at their own sword dance, and even outdrank Queen Mobjarn Flamehair of Windhelm in a mead-slamming contest. All myths and tales, I assure you, preposterous and deeply absurd. Our queen was merely away preparing for praxis and ceremonarchy in her own fashion of independent study. Since assuming the throne, she has brought some innovations to the rule of our land, but this is as foretold at the time of her auspicious birth, and the Sapiarchs, one and all, have endorsed her modernizations. So you see, students, Aaron is undisputed queen of these isles, and all is right and proper as it should be. Life in the Eagle's Shadow A new year and a new start. Sarun agreed to be my betrothed last night. I am the luckiest Mur in Mathison. I've already made arrangements with Yondin to use the forge. I'm going to melt down my father's old blade and use it as the base for a ring of Mara. Matheson's steel is good enough for the troops, right? It will be good enough for my true heart. Third Sun's Dawn The heralds are shouting in every square across the island. There's a new queen, and we are now part of some kind of alliance with the Wood Elves and the Khajiit of all people. The Aldmeri Dominion, they're calling it. I couldn't be prouder, but Father has done nothing but grumble. He says letting those kinds of folk onto the island will be bad for business. Tenth Sun's Dawn Sarun and I sneaked out in the middle of the night and made for Skywatch. It was so exciting bedding down by the side of the road, like we're in the Fighters Guild. The handbills telling of the parade have been all over the island, and we've decided we couldn't let something like this pass us by. I'll be thrice cursed by the old Myrrh, I know it, but damn him for a fool. It's a chance to see the Queen, the Main, and the Bosmer Tree Thanes. Not on your life. Eleventh Sun's Dawn. If today was any indication, Father was right. The parade was amazing, with Her Majesty leading a phalanx of Marines up the path to the gates. Then came the Tree Thanes with their wily jungle rangers. Vine dusk, I think someone said. And then the main, with those braids. Amazing to see the Khajiiti warriors on display. Much more pleasing than the furry sneak thief I caught with his hands in my coin purse. I tried to catch him before he made off, but he dove between some of those damned dock workers who were so obsessed with their frog races they didn't even look up. 
and then he was gone. Saroon said it was alright, that we'd just leave earlier than we'd planned. Damn it. Just hate to let her down. Seventeenth Sun's Dawn. Damn them all. Everything has been a mess since Saroon and I came back from Skywatch. Father was furious that we'd left, and when I told him how many coins that cat took, old bastard hasn't beat me like that since I was learning the forge. Then, a few days ago, they pulled all of us into the forge master's office. Condolin had gotten word that, with the new alliance, tradesmen can start hiring some of those folk. Tossing a certain number of jobs to them would net you extra coin from the Thalmor. And so he dropped father's contract. Been with the forge for decades, and now catmen and cannibals are doing the job. All because of this damned alliance. Father's beside himself, about the steel more than anything. Says they won't know how to cure it right. Stars above, what's happening? Second first seed. My life is ruined. I'm on the run, and everyone I knew and loved hates me. Damn the Dominion and our smiling queen to boot. It all started when that recruiter for the Battle Reef came to town. He was looking for volunteers for the Dominion military. When no one came forward, he said he'd been empowered to take conscripts. He tapped me and Saroon's brother. He also grabbed the twins, Taylorel and Tanneril, shoved us into a line with a gang of others, and started us down the road. We weren't a mile before Tanneril snapped, went crazy, screaming about how he couldn't fight dark elves, that they use your body to hatch spiders in. He made a break for it, and a bunch of us used the chance to run as well. I'm holed up in a cave near Seal Salem. My father is penniless. My bride-to-be will soon think me a traitor. The damn cats and runty elves are taking over the island, and the military is putting children on the front lines. This isn't the homeland I grew up in. Fifth First Seed I was reduced to trying to steal something for my evening meal, and of course I was caught. I slipped into Sil Salen after dusk, the smell of some delicious whitefish wafting on the breeze. I hadn't eaten anything worthwhile since the morning the recruiter came into town, when I had that delicious spiced bread Saroon's mother had made. I slipped into town and tracked the smell to the local inn. I was trying to figure out how to get into the kitchen when a big beefy hand fell on my shoulder one of the Cannon Reeves' men. He knew exactly what I was doing, almost like he'd been watching me since I got into town. Now I'm sitting in a cell underneath the Reeves' manse, waiting his justice. At least they let me keep my journal here. Damn you, Aaron. Damn you, Dominion. Tenth First Seed my old life is over, and my new life under the veil has begun. It turns out the Cannon Reeve himself 
an honorable man named Valano, has experienced his own doubts about the future under the Dominion. He used to be a good friend to the Queen, even, but worries now the years have changed her. Valano is a member of a group called the Veiled Inheritance. They're a group of freedom fighters willing to do what has to be done. They're willing to make the hard choices and stop the spread of foreign influence on our soil. I was brought up out of that cellar below Sil Salem thinking I was going to do hard labor. Instead, I found a new family. Valano said he knew all about my problems, even knew that I'd been taken by a Dominion recruiter. Said that he was willing to help, and help me help myself. And I will. 